Boxcaster online. Authorization accepted. Uplink confirmed. Begin transmission. Hello and welcome to Transmission 4.1 of After Olinor, the Horace Heresy book review podcast, Remembering the Eisenstein. I'm Greg Dan and this is... I'm Dave Whitek here. Hello Dave. Hey Greg, what's going on? Um, just relaxing, just finishing writing up my notes and watching lots of likes on Facebook for the fact we're recording. <laughs> it's always good to see that people are eager to hear what we've got to say. Well, it, it, it's it's. I wish it wasn't so few and far between, but that's every episode's lament. It sounds like now, so I'll just let it drop. I'm halfway done with Fulgrim, liking it much better this time. I'll say that much. It's. I mean, it's good. I've had a bit of a busy week with um, busy month, and it's. I've been reading it in a really disjointed manner, which has made it difficult for me to read it. I'm almost tempted to go back and read it again once I've done it. But it's. Um, yeah, I do like it. It's a good book. Yeah, I've been reading it, and I've been picking it apart in my usual fashion, finding a lot of nice parallels. Um, some things that uh, seem like stuff I remember from other books. Uh, really interesting stuff falling together. Um, plus, I actually know who Ferris Manus is this time I'm reading it, so I'm getting a little more out of it. So, I, I just, I'm, I'm telling you what, the second time around with these books is so much better than the first. It really is. Like, every one of them is better the second time around. I mean, even, for, even for me, yeah. It's, um, you know, having that background but still getting more out of it on the second second reading. Plus, I think we're reading it slower, like we're really looking for stuff, whereas when I read it the first yeah. time, I was looking to get caught up with the series, which at this point isn't going to happen, because I haven't read a new book in three months. So, <laughs> All right, let's get on with this. Oh, we have had more feedback for this episode than all the others. Now, I don't know if that's because we're getting more people joining the forums, which, by the way, sign up, garagehammer.net slash forum, jump in. Uh, join in the conversation on the forum, but we've got like three pages of, like forum pages of responses, people really getting into just the little nuances of this book. I mean, it. I know it's like my favorite, but I do, it was great how many people were jumping into it. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of chat on there about a few subjects. It's um quite interesting to read some people's viewpoints and ideas. Yeah, we did seem to. I mean, it did seem to kind of go all over. There was a couple of things. I mean, even I know the the topic. Dave, came up well, on, Dave, you you broke up on me completely. Oh, I'm there. sorry. Okay, I didn't hear it. No, sorry, it's not your fault. I just didn't hear any of that. I got oh. a bit. Yeah, but. Okay, there are the topics like you said. They're jumping sort of all over the map. I mean, there was a bit of a discussion of who would go with Horus and who would stay with the Emperor. Yeah, and I was honest. If I were with Horus. I'd probably have gone with him. I mean, his personality was so magnetic in the book, and I was just reading about him. I don't know. But, of course, I'm a human, not an Astartes. So. Uh, but I just still I still worry that if I were there, I would have probably uh, not had much of a chance. <laughs> I, I maintain I'd have been killing Thousand Sons. <laughs> well, okay, but yeah. 
Yeah, like I said, I was I was just really pleased that the that the that the uh, forum discussion was going so well. I don't know if it's the book or if we're just getting more people joining the forums to join in the chat. So please do. Like I said, please join up. Garagehammer.net slash forums. Um, some people get a little confused. We have a little trouble with the little captures on the iPad, so it's easier to sign up on your home computer. But you only have to do the capture once and then uh, just introduce yourself on the introduction page. That's our spam filter. If you don't introduce yourself, you can't post anywhere else. So uh, go ahead and do that, and we'd love to have you guys on there. Uh, all right, Greg. So what did you? What did you? Uh, what is? What's our topic for today? Are, are we just kind of covering what people said? We, we've yeah, we've got that first bit, you know, covering over last episode. A couple of announcements to make, and then um, a little bit about the Black Library Weekend uh, two. Oh, duh. That's right. Right. Yeah. Which was a couple of um, weekends ago from date recording. So yeah, you, now I haven't even talked to you since then. I mean, I just saw your Twitter stuff. How awesome was it? It was good. Yeah, it was good. It's um, it's any time you're hanging around with many like-minded people and then a bunch of authors writing about the stuff you love. It's you know, it's always going to have. It's never <laughs> going to be bad, is it? So yeah, we'll go into that a little bit later. Yep. All right. So um, I guess let's get into some of the discussion here. Now, um, anything that stuck out to you that you wanted to comment on? Yes. Very important thing I feel we should cover. Um, We've had a number of people once more asking us um, when and if, usually if, we're going to do the Garrow Audio um, review. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Yeah. So I, I sent Dave some emails. We are doing it. We are going to do it in a couple of uh, episodes' time, so before Legion, between Descent of Angels and before Legion. Um, so I think that's, yeah, I think that's not next episode, the episode, uh, not, yeah, not next book, because we're re- reading Full Grim at the moment, we've got Full Grim Descent, and then we'll do it then. And we'll cover um, the exact details we've got to work out, but we'll be covering a few of those Garrow books, at least. Yeah, they the were. Audio books. So... There you go, people. It's there. Don't fear. It is coming. Um, it also handily gives David and I a little bit of a break from having to read. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, no. We should continue reading so that we're that way we've got stuff stockpiled so we don't have to be that far behind. At least that's my plan. But my plan was to be done reading Fulgrim by now, and I'm only on Chapter 11, so I'm a big liar head. <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting there. But, yeah, it's, um, so it's in the plans. Have no fear. Um, and if you see people asking, refer them to this episode, <laughs> please. It's nice of people to ask, but I must uh, I must have answered that question with in various. It's on every thread. It's yeah. on every thread. <laughs> when are you going to do Garrow? And emails and Twitter. Yeah, um, we, we like what them is... too much to skip them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this we're not we're going to cover every story at the end of the day. Um, there are a couple of audio books that came out before the Garrow series started, but they're covered in um, Shadows of Treachery, I think it is. So we need to discuss what we're doing with those, but the Garrow ones will be out front and center. Well, I will publicly announce right here that I leave it to your discretion, Greg. You're the one who knows the order, and you're the... you're Okay. I'll be I'll be making an. Uh, you're the color commentator. You're the guy who played pro and is now on the mic. I'm the guy who just loves the sport and is standing there, calling the game. So, 
I'm giving you the technical English teacher point of view and fanboy point of view. You're the one who knows all this stuff. So if you, whenever you think it's the appropriate you're time. Me, you're making me sound like the late 80s, early 90s 49ers here, where I'm probably <laughs> the, the late 90s 49ers. So, you know, <laughs> let's not get too carried away. Ah, well, to me, you'll always be the 85 Bears, my friend. So there you go. Oh, no, no, no. I want to be Jerry Rice. Oh, okay. I just thought you wanted to be the best team ever. <laughs> uh, 49ers. Uh, in, in a sport. In, I, in, 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 for that one year. No, for if you take a year. That's all that matters. Okay. Uh, <laughs> in a sport that's not a real sport, it's fine. Oh, um, <laughs> American football, is it, as you guys like to call it. Well, yeah, because it's American football. Yeah. That's a different argument for a different time. <laughs> so, uh, on, to, on to the feedback for... Um, for Flight of the Eisenstein. I got an email off Robert Coffin. Did you get this one, Dave? Uh, I, I might have. I don't have it in my notes. There was um, a bit of a, you know, not a long email, but it was a decent length email with a lot of chat in there. Um, thank you very much for emailing it. Um, there was kind of some thoughts about uh, Euphrates and how she's used by the Emperor. Maybe there's possibility of her being used by Chaos. Um there's some interesting ideas. It's not something I want to go into now because uh, essentially a lot. some of the questions some of what he's talking about is kind of talked about later on in various ways. So, But I just wanted to say Potential thanks spoiler. to him. Gotcha. For, yeah. I mean, again, I'll say it now because other people have asked about doing other things. Um, and actually people at my gaming club were asking me, why didn't you say this? And I'm like, because that would spoil free books. So I'm, I'm not going to do it. Um, we will endeavor, you know, we will try our hardest not to spoil anything beyond the book we've just read. Because, I mean, we, we had someone mention on the podcast, um, on, on the forum, thanks for not telling us what happened in this audio book. Because when I got to the end of it, I was, you know, I was blown away by oh, the ending. Is that, was that Legion of One? Yeah, I think so. Best um, one of, I mean, that and the Sigilite of, of the ones I've listened to so far are tied for my two favorites. Yeah, very, very good. Um, we're not going to lose listeners by not telling them things. But yeah. I could honestly believe if I was listening to this podcast and someone ruined the engine of, ending of Legion of One, if I couldn't work it out going through it, then I'd be severely hacked off. I feel like uh, an idiot because everyone told me how much I would love it. And yeah. so I, it should have been a tip right there. And I'm listening right. to it, and I didn't get it. Like, I didn't get it till the very end. Like, like so that, I, I got it, like, so seconds before he said it. You, you've had a different experience then. Oh, because I worked it out as I was going through. Um, maybe a bit of hope as well. But, um, oh, so but yeah, so... Harrison we, and I fist-punching in the car <laughs> like idiots when that's we hear exactly this. I don't want to rob anyone of that yeah. potential happening. So we are we are going to cover the books we we read up to. So if you are miles ahead, um, we won't always talk about your feedback or be able to talk about that because because of those issues. Yeah, but, and, but uh, hey, you can still you can still give us that feedback by email. You know, try and keep it off the forum. I sound like a Nazi on the forum sometimes, but um, you know, you know but it, we're not trying to be. But it really is. I mean, honestly, if you if you spoil something and it's a big spoiler, I, I would I would not have a problem personally as the moderator and the owner of the forum of going in and editing the post and blacking that no, part out. And, and I I hundred percent support. It's nothing personal. It's just no. It's it's those people. We have got we've got people we know 
who are reading these books with us for the first time. Yeah, and so, like I said, and we're not trying to be not. And I'm not even mad. Like I know some. I I got someone who posted something and then went back, and like five minutes later changed the post. I don't know if anyone got a chance to read it because there was before there were any other responses. And then they sent me a private message in the form saying, "Dude, I threw up the spoiler. I'm so sorry. I deleted." It. I'm like, I'm not mad. I just I, I got to take it down. Uh, you took it down for yeah. me, which is great. And I'm not saying I'll take down all your posts or you know. Hey, you can't do that. I would just, but, However, I will, but if it's a spoiler, I'll I'll have to yeah. take that part out. That's yeah, that's exactly how we feel. But if you spoil anything that I haven't read, then I might hunt you down. <laughs> <laughs> just and a it, warning. If you spoil anything that I haven't read, you've probably it's it's in the last half because <laughs> I am not that far. So excellent. Okay, so let's see. I saw some interesting stuff in here in the forums. The first thing that popped up that I didn't even notice that totally slipped by. Uh, it was from uh, Flint Iron Skull, and yep. it said it didn't seem like there was any indication of discomfort for the Xenos psychers in the Cylinder world when the Sisters of Silence were around. The psyker that telepathically spoke to Garo didn't seem to have any trouble using its abilities at the time. Did anyone else see that, or did I miss something? Now, I went back and looked at it, and I'm just wondering if they weren't that close. Like, it started talking to Garo, and didn't Garo kill it? Yeah, that, yeah I mean, it died. I mean, that- there's a couple. There's a few things this could be. One, they're they're Xenos, so it could it could not show the pain the same way. It could not feel it, whatever. Um, it could two, be it, different. It might not. It, maybe it's yeah, not the a way psychic ability or psyker ability. I, mean, I will say that I maybe um, maybe I didn't quite discuss it. It's not. It's certainly a discomfort. Whether that pain's involved is could be different. You know, that's not a solid written down somewhere that. All Null Zones, well, not as far as I'm aware, all Null Zones cause X amount of pain to psychers within 10 foot of them. Um, but I, I extrapolated from other books I've, I've um, read where um, a Gene Steeler Majos got too near a null, null Zone and actually got disorientated and felt pain and, and backed away and things like that. It's, it's an effect which has a scale of, um, you know, I remember, I remember reading in a later book, so I will I will do my best to not throw in spoilers, but um, you'll know the book, Greg, because it's, it's got your favorites in it. Yeah. But there's a null zone put in there, and it's that, I believe, if I remember correctly, that character felt dis, like a little disoriented and felt like, like there was like, you know, blankets muffling his head. But it, there, it didn't seem to be pain so much as... That uh, a, a discomfort, but not a painful discomfort. Just like a, a you know, like there was something yeah. wrong here. He could tell that something was not right. It just kind of pushed in on him. Um, Absolutely. So I'm going to hold my hand up. I've probably in in my own way where I know exactly what I mean. Um, not always getting that across in the <laughs> right way. There's there's obviously more of a scale than a, def, a definitive effect. Um, yeah, which. Which may or may not come up. And let's through. be honest, we didn't get much about that psyker anyway. There was this weird no. mutant baby, and then it just started taunting yeah. Garo. It, it could have been it, in huge amounts of pain. We don't know. It was no. just all we know is that it was taunting Garo. Anytime you're dealing with Xenos, we, you know, we, we, we struggle to relate enough to Space Marines. Yeah. So it's that, that extra step of having a Xenos. Um, and yeah, that, that creature was a tool in the book to tell part of the story. Right. So. So yeah, but you know, thanks for showing it, and and I'll I'll, I'll try and be a little bit more clearer. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so do you have anything you want to hit? We can kind of go back and forth between the stuff that we found that we like because we might overlap. Um, some people were talking about the Emperor's plans on the forum as well. Yeah. Um, and what he could be up to and the nature of chaos and his divinity and all this. Um, I just wanted to say that the what the Emperor is up to is spelled out explicitly um, what his grand design is in going back to Terra. Now, that doesn't say that it explains every part of every action he's done, but in later books and in... Um, it was certainly in the first time it appeared was in Collected Visions, the old Visions book, artwork book with the new ones. Uh, the, the limited edition has just been released. That explains why the Emperor goes back to Terra. It and does. what he's doing there. Yes. So... Um, Again, I'm not going to talk about that, but that is explained later on. Um, don't ever expect to find out all the ins and outs about what the Emperor's thinking. That's not going to happen. But there is some ex- explanation later on, so you will get some closure on part of it at least. Now, that Collected Visions, I know there was that limited edition that came out at Black Library Weekend. Will we, who didn't get the limited edition, be able to get the... Uh, still be able to get it? Was, uh, didn't you say it's coming out as a... You know, as a Regular edition, right. the non-fancy one. Okay, L- uh, Laurie Golding, who's the um, chief Horace Heresy editor, who's Black Library editor, uh, has a saying, every story, every format, eventually. Okay, um, good. Don't take that 100% li- literally, but every every time you see limited or something that's in a format which isn't necessarily easy to get hold of, it will be reprinted, redone in a format which is easy to get hold of. Um, that Visions of Heresy was limited to 1,250 copies. Um, not everyone wants to buy it. There were a few left over at the Bat Library Weekend because it was 150 pounds. Yeah, I really wanted and, it until you told me how much it was. I was like, oh, yeah. I, got, I mean, I it's two. It's uh, done in the same style as the Horus Heresy, um, the Forge World Horus Heresy book. So the, the, the leather binding and all that. It's in a little case. Um, I think now I'm going to try and remember and get this right. I think they said Christmas Day. That one goes up on order as the normal version, which will be significantly cheaper. Yeah, hundred pounds. Um, yeah, so you've got um, that and the comic book as well. The comic book was uh, McCrag's Honor was only available three hundred and fifty copies and was only available at the Weekender. Um, and in its collector, you know, leather bound similar style, will never be available again in that style. Nice. But in a slightly different style, and then we'll be out normally as well. So, yeah, anytime they do a limited edition, um, Brotherhood of the Storm was at Black Library Weekender, um, which was the White Scars limited edition. All those books will come out in a regular edition at some point, or will be included in um, uh, a collection of short stories when it comes to the anthology, the, the Games Day anthologies, things like that. So, you will don't fear you. you Ne- they're never going to print anything that you can't get hold of. Um, they might print, like the collector's editions might just have a little bit more or one newer picture or things like that, but the tenant of the story will be, this, will be there. All right. Um, I have something that I saw. It was in Bolsey's posts. Um, he was talking about the emperor. Like you were just talking about um, how the chaos gods are treacherous and all this stuff. Uh, but then he said that uh, he, it was, he was reading Flight of the Ice, and when Malkador uh, meets up with Garrow, 
and uh, he reads in in Horace's mind. The Emperor protects. You know, he, you know he he can read yeah. Garrow. Uh, did I say Gar- Horace's mind? Gar- oh my yeah. yeah, sorry. Uh, there's a Freudian slip. Um, he's got. You know, if he's the most powerful psyker next to the Emperor, he knows exactly what Garrow thinks of the Emperor. And he points out that he still tasks him with these important jobs, even though he's going against the Emperor's will, um, which I thought was an interesting, you know, um, yeah, thing. Absolutely. And, it, you know, he's asking, is it part of their, the plan? It, I mean, is, does the Emperor plan on becoming a god was a big topic running yeah, through this chat. our chat. Yeah. And, or is, or like, and this one was suggesting that is Malkador pushing that? plan you know is like you know you know Definitely. does Malkador consider him to be one um, we we one thing to remember with Malkador Malkador is um you know the emperor's right hand but Malkador is very much his own person um you know he obviously understands that the emperor stands above him and is this be, uh, being of immense power and everything else um he also seems to be his but, friend if the emperor has one how do you become a friend with yeah, I mean, it's I mean, as, as close far as, as you're going to get. Yeah, I um, mean, the, the the Horace and them they think of him as a father. Yeah, you know, and a pretty stern father figure, to be honest. So, um, Malkador's been. Um, it's been noted Malkador is like the uh, been with the Emperor for a, a significant amount of time. Um, I don't know the exacts off the top of my head. So, obviously, if you're going to be working with someone, and you know, how many kind of uh, kings and queens, their main aide becomes that kind of not quite a friend, but someone they can trust and talk to about things that they can't talk to about someone else without breaking that barrier. Yeah. Um, but there is that delineation. So you'll see later on in um, Nemesis, um, I won't say what happens, but actually there's quite a disagreement on the way they go about doing things. You know, Malkador's got his ideas. Um, and doesn't uh, they're not always the same as the emperor's? Although you know the emperor's still his boss and everything else. Well, there's also one in one of the Garrow books. He's talking to Garrow, and there's a whole discussion about the emperor's plan. And you know, do you think you know? He's asking Garrow what Garrow thinks. Garrow's like, uh, I really don't think I have a right to an opinion. <laughs> but you know, it's obvious that Melchior disagrees with the emperor. So it's, I mean, he's it's weird because everybody is such a sycophant to the emperor. It's hard not to be. Which, yeah. you know, I guess that explains also why you'd have to have the second most powerful psyker in the known universe yeah. as your assistant. Someone who, who can be in your presence and not not be a sycophant or turn into a blubbering mass of just, of, of worshipping, you know, inability Absolutely. to do anything else. So We've also got, I mean, the other question put, you know, um, or Malkador could just be saying what Garrow wants to hear. You know, just because they're the quote unquote good guys doesn't mean they are good guys you know you look if you anyone who's played 40k for any period of time will know there are no good guys um the imperium is uh, not a nice place to be um and even in 30k you see some of the things going on it's you know the intolerance and everything else we've already talked about so there's there's the brilliant thing about these books is there are you know, there's more than two sides on on almost every issue going on and it's nice there's no there is no there's almost no black and white there's definitely black but there is no white no it seems there are a few a few characters you know garrow could be considered the white you know yeah he could be the standard bear you know the uh what is it you know the hero that they 
that they deserve, you know, or whatever you want to call it, because there are there is so much in here that's just gray. I was talking with a friend last night, and they were actually there was a discussion about Horus and the Emperor's last battle, and was the Emperor weakened by stuff that had been happening before things he was doing that we haven't talked about yet? You know, Horus is obviously all juiced up with all the chaos gods. Um, you know, was there a, a bit of a you know thing? What was going on there? And that was one of the things we pointed out. We were just talking about the you know his plan. I'm like, it's, you know, it's not exactly a nice plan. We're going to wipe out all of those who aren't like us. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, we we fought against that uh, so many wars on this planet to stop yeah. just that thing. Uh, but then he unified the planet, and now it's okay. Now we're all like us, so now we'll wipe out those other people, and everyone seems to be gung ho about it. But it was, uh, yeah, it's a frightening place. <laughs> it's a frightening place <laughs> that they live in. Um, what? Uh, oh, someone brought up a question, and it kind of it was. I thought this was an interesting one. Jersey boy on the forums uh, basically said he thought it was ironic that the emperor's plan is to protect everyone from chaos. And but they're you know the space marines especially are jumping through the warp constantly. His plan is to protect them from it by keeping them unaware of it. And he he in, he uh, you know posits that it's the ignorance of this that is really what helped you know bring about Horus's fall was ignorance um, of what's there and what its true nature is. Um, I don't know what do you think about that. I mean, uh, absolutely the 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 nature of keeping it quiet once it was discovered, then caused a lot of questions to be asked. And we, we talked about that first through the first three books particularly. You know, All of a sudden when it came out, you know, why haven't we been told about this? Who does know about this? What else hasn't he told us? Um, but everything was going really well until they found out. So, you know, do right. we know if, if, if no one had found out, is it one of those real big secrets that actually, you know, all, all the time no one knows about it, we're getting away with it, it's fine. But then once it, go, once it breaks down. Um, yeah, the hypocritical nature of, of hating the warp but using the warp is, is clear. Um, again, a later book deals with a little bit of that, um, you know, quite specifically. Um, right. Right. But there's a there's a lot to who who knows at the end of the day the the emperor's plans haven't been revealed to us at this point um, of what his original plan was. All we know is that uh, if anyone's played 40k and Warhammer, um, the chaos powers are their they they garner their strength from feelings, and humanity is the greatest of the races for allowing those feelings to to power the, the, the chaos powers. So. Um, maybe it was the emperor kind of trying to deny chaos that power by not allowing the humans to have that knowledge so they couldn't feed it. That's what um, I thought. That's what I figured. I Why mean, would you deny yeah. all of this? And then if you are, if you, you know, kind of putting yourself in the place of one, uh, yeah, because if we are rational and scientific, it keeps them weak. I mean, yeah, that's, that's one of the answers that seems to be coming out, but. Again, these things are layered through yeah. through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, you got any more? I got. I've only one got. Or two. A, I've, uh, you carry on because I've, I've just got a couple of things I need to correct later on. Oh, but I'll okay. do it uh, Middling Astartes put up that first of all, his assumption was the Great Crusade was in preparation for the Tyranid invasions, which um, the Emperor for, would have foreseen. Potential. And, yeah. Um, That's not something that, I'm, as I'm aware of, has ever been kind of talked about. 
Me neither. And so I just uh, I thought it was an interesting it's a potential theory. Theory. I mean, he certainly. I mean, the great the whole of the Great Crusade was to strengthen humanity against anything. So even if he didn't foresee the Tyranids coming, um, it was always to build a bulwark to right. stand against everything else, whether that was chaos or See, or, or Tyranids. I or thought anything. it was an interesting point because if the Emperor does know everything, which he kind of seems to, or know I most everything. Didn't know Horace was going to fall. <laughs> did, did he? Well, like, again, okay, who, I mean, you don't knows? know. I mean, yeah, I mean, it seems weird because he seems to know everything, but then there's big old chunks he seems to miss too. But yeah. I mean, a giant tyrannid invasion coming through space—you think he would have that? Would be something that would. I would say that the tyrannid invasion coming through space doesn't take place for a few thousand years. That's a very long sighted. That is jump. true, but I mean, he's it, got the I long mean, view, and if he's in the warp and he can see all sorts of times and things, it, it doesn't stop it being the right answer. I, I think. You can't say yes, you can't say no. Right. All you can say is the Emperor knew that humanity had to have this stronghold to survive against the rest of the universe. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe he knows of many more because you've got the Necrons who um, were around, I mean, thousand, you know, millennia before the humans came to, you know, they were fighting the old ones. Right. So you've got the rise of the Necrons you could include in that and it could be said he's got stronger knowledge of the Necrons than he has of Tyranids, for certain, that True. pops up in, in a book. So you could you could say that uh, the Necrons is a more likely explanation than the Tyranids. I was just, I actually went out and grabbed yeah. my, big, my big blue book and started looking through it, and you see that pictures of the map where the Tyranid invasions are coming in, and it's like, oh, look, we've just seen that little tentacle, and there's that giant mass behind it. It's like, you know, should the, were the Emperor still here with his, you know, with his sons and their legions behind him? I'd have no fear of the Tyranids, you know what I'm saying? It's just, oh, yeah, you guys can take this. You guys can <laughs> take them. Um, but, you know, now, it, it you know, because like I said, I didn't even, I went back to actually look, like I said, in the 40K book to look, because I remember seeing the pictures and in the Tyranid stuff of where they are and where they're coming. I went back in the Tyranid uh, codex. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah, like, it's, a, it's a pretty big, big threat. But um, I don't know if it's a bigger threat than the Necrons or not. Uh, um, having not read the latest Necron book, um, they were always uh, as big, if not a bigger threat, than the Tyranids. I do like so, the Necron book. I do so, like it. But they seem to be almost have a limited capacity since they are, I mean, uh, I, su- I suppose they can just keep rebuilding themselves like Terminators, yeah. putting their minds back in. And you, you say limited. Um, limited is, is a word that has <laughs> quite a scope to it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess yeah. I could be dead the off wars, on that one. The, the original, the original kind of the wars they fought with the old ones, as the old books go, were massive scale wars. Yeah. Well, I yeah. suppose I'm showing my ignorance of 40k lore there, but uh, whatever. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just guessing. Hey, we're just throwing stuff and seeing what sticks. Sometimes. <laughs> um, there was a really great thing that he that that Middling Star has also posted about people. Uh, you know, the guys telling, uh, I think it was Decius telling. Garrow that he wishes he had got to make his own choice and that Garrow hadn't made his choice for him. Yeah. You know? Which is a weird thing to say when they're all like, we're going to stick with the Emperor. You should have let me choose for myself. Well, really? I mean, were you going <laughs> to choose something different? Well, no, but I mean, and I can understand him. No, I would have picked with you, but I would have liked to be the guy to pick. I don't like people making decisions for me. But he did point out that a lot of these times, individual guys like that don't necessarily make their decision. You're talking about the Roman civil wars where legions would turn against each other, and you're wondering how that happens. It's like, well, 
everyone doesn't agree, you know, and a lot of times your commander's like, well, no, these guys have gone bad. We got to go after them. You don't know all the details. You just kind of listen to your commander and go along. Now, I think yeah. with the Astartes, they're a slightly, you know, well, they're still a big organization, but, you know, part of that, you know, you also have the uh, the lodges, and someone else had brought up a great thing about the li- the lodges seeming to, uh, like, to help break down some of that space marine conditioning. Yeah, yeah. I, I did read um, somewhere else, I might have been on the First Expedition website, that, um, there's so a link back to the when the Codex came, uh, when Gurman um, created the Codex for which the Space Marine Legions now adhere. Um, I say now, in 40K adhere to. <laughs> um, they actually kind of increased the conditioning, uh, the psychometric conditioning of the um, of the Space Marines. So it might be that they were slightly less, you know, forcibly conditioned back then. I see. Uh, that ha- there's a potential for that. Well, they were but, definitely conditioned more than the Thunder Warriors. If I, oh, if absolutely. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, again, there's, there's, there's variety of stages. <clears throat> well, okay, and then I got my last one here, um, which was it. just another great uh, point that he made, and it's like I, I'd seen it, I just never really like voiced it. Was uh, where Flint Iron Skull jumped in and said, "It seems that Terran Marines are more loyal to the Imperium as a whole, at least yeah. in the books, than." Uh, the Marines that are on the planet, you know, the guys who are on the same planet as their Primarch tend yes. to be more loyal to their Primarch than to the Emperor, whereas think, the Terran ones... I think we've noted it. Um, the I know we mentioned Crusade, it, yeah. The Great Crusade is, is 200 years long. Um, many of those Primarchs didn't get found for 70, 80, 140 years into the Great Crusade. So great swathes of like the later legions, uh, the later Primarchs to be found particularly. Um, you know, a large portion of their legion will have fought for 60, 70, 80 years uh, in the Emperor's army. Um, then Ulanor, the Emperor disappearing, and, and the pure fact that the Emperor is only one person. So he can't be everywhere in the galaxy. But if you're a, sun, if you're a, um, a lunar wolf, you're going to see... Horus might not be around all the time, but you're going to see him more often than you're going to see the Emperor. So that you've got that aspect of kind of, you know, some of those space marines may never have seen the Emperor. They might not have been around. They might have been fighting somewhere else when Eleanor occurred and might not have been around at this point. It might have been somewhere else in the galaxy. So it's that thing of, you know, you've got a big boss that you've never seen, never interacted with, or you've got your your line manager, as it were, who helps you out, you know, see him on the field of battle and does all this. Right. So it's, it's going to engender those, not to mention the fact that he came from your planet and he lived through what you live for, whereas the Big E's always been out there and doing his thing. And So, yeah, it's a definite definite uh, factor in who who falls and who doesn't. But not uh, not... Uh, a, a factor, but not necessarily an automatic decision maker, which is cool. Yep. All right, that's all I had. Um, yeah, I just want to say last um, last feedback episode. I think I said Loken is from Terra. Um, I, this is me getting mixed up. He's not from Terra. Says it quite clearly. Apparently, I got told off for that oh, one. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to. Make sure that's out there. Um, After Deshaya was written by Matthew Farrow, not Aaron Dembski-Bowden. 
So again, I want to get that out there. People feel free to tell me when I get these things wrong <laughs> because it, it does help because people might be looking for things up and stuff like that. Um, the uh, And the cover image from Flight of the Eisenstein can be seen on the inside of the paperback. So, so oh, yeah. if people haven't looked at their paperback, probably if it's still on the shelf and they haven't picked it up, it's still available. You know, you go and look in the inside cover. I haven't, I sold all my paperbacks when I've replaced them with hardbacks. So I wasn't aware of that one myself. So if you haven't seen it and you own the paperbacks, you can go and have a little look. And that was, that was all my, uh, my little, little errors corrected as far as I'm aware. Okay. So that's all I've got as far as feedback and, uh, you know, remembering the Eisenstein. So, but I believe you have some more stuff because we've got Black Library. Yes. As I said, the, um, the Black Library Weekend 2 um, was a couple of weeks ago at the Nottingham Belfry Hotel. Uh, same venue that the previous Black Library Weekend and the Horace Heresy Weekend have been at, which I, I went to those two as well. So this is my third weekend. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and it's the first one was very much kind of, you can see uh, Games Workshop hadn't done anything like this before. Um, Black Library have Black, have had Black Library Live, so they've had little one-day smaller events with little seminars and authors on show. But the weekend, it was something very different for them. And quickly became aware that once the first one was finished, they started planning the Horace Heresy one and <laughs> made sure that people were buying tickets for the third one. So obviously the first one went well enough <laughs> for them to do more. Um, for those who don't know, it's, uh, it's a weekend event of seminars, book signings, um, and opportunities to talk to authors as well as some, some other fun events, uh, the the latest one was very much there's a there's a, a center on the writers. You can buy an, a, an extra gold ticket, I think it is, to to go on the Friday and actually have a session of writing. And you've got some of the Black Library team there, and they talk about writing styles and how to write. And they you know you write bits and they talk you through what you're writing and things like that. See, that um, would be so awesome. I, they have yeah. some of those at Gen Con. I always go to the writing seminars at Gen Con because they're published I'm, authors who are giving you hints. I'm like, all right. Yeah, I mean, I know the editors actually are heavily involved. Christian Dunn will be giving you feedback. You may, I think they ask you to bring uh, – so I haven't been on one of these, so I'm not 100% sure, but I think they ask you to bring stuff and you've written things like that. I mean, one of the guys I was talking to said he bought a ticket because his mate did or something like that and he couldn't write and he got some very critical feedback about his writing style um <laughs> but it but it's honest and it's fair and it's and you know they're not they're not mean with it but when you can have an, an actual editor who does this for a living turn around to you and say right okay well your story did this they hit this well but it was lacking in this and it needed this for any any wannabe writer that can only be a good thing i would assume um and, excuse me, combined with um, on the Saturday night, they once again did Pitch Factor, which is a, a play on the X Factor principle of pitching a, this is pitching a, a story okay. to uh, two editors and a writer. Um, and at the end of the thing, if they find someone worthy enough, they could actually get printed. I know 
last year uh the alex who won it she got her story in the latest late the last hammer and bolt rep, um edition and this year four or five people got pulled up and said right we're not we're not offering you any you know stories but we're offering you a chance to work with us and see how it goes to to feed back you know back and forth information which again if you're a writer these kind of things i i take it aren't particularly common so you, you know that i know that's a big draw for some people yeah yeah um there's not many places you can do that um as a whole the weekend you had topics like um the loyalists which was a horace heresy horace heresy seminar uh traitors in in context to that um Gottrick and Felix, art seminars, audio seminars, and they're all obviously based around Black Library stuff, naturally. The the one difference between this one and, and the previous one I went to is this one was much more um, spread out, relaxed, slightly less going on at once, which is great for the um, authors who are working hard all weekend whilst having a few drinks and chilling out, but I mean, these guys are available as they're walking around. Uh, John French has <clears throat> written Aram in Exile. He was walking around and someone said, oh, excuse me, John, can I, can I talk to you? Hello? And he's like, of course you can talk to me. I'm out in the open. I'm in the public. Anytime I'm out in the public area, anyone can stop me and talk to me and say anything. And when I, when I want my break, I go to the little bit around the back where you're not allowed. So you, you see someone walking past and yeah, you stop them and you say, can you sign my book? Okay. I've read this story. What do you think of this? Or I'm trying to write and how do I do this? And, or you'd say, hi, you know, see the football last night. You, you can talk about what you want with these guys. And they're, they're all really, it's a really good bunch of, of people. I've, I've listened to Terry Pratchett talk and he's great to listen to talk and, go up and actually chat to him i'm not too sure um and I, I hear a lot of authors can be a bit like that i mean it's a solitary thing and maybe they're not so great with people sometimes but say john french dan abnett i mean he's a he's a pro he's been doing comic books for years yeah, um, yeah. graham mcneil won't stop talking um, <laughs> uh in a good way um guy Haley and all that all these guys and the editors you know, christian and laurie they're all most of them are pretty much they're fans of the books as well and you can tell that on the seminars when dan asked a question and he goes oh no my my current favorite bit of the latest five books has been when chris rate wrote about this in this book and i was like, oh that's amazing i need to steal part of that and use it in my book you can tell that they're really they're into what they're doing um which always helps those kind of events yeah i mean if you're I just think it's really cool. I, you know, obviously, they, it's I can't come all the way out to England to go to one of these things, but I would so love to go to one of these things just because to have those writers there, to have that access, and just guys who really love it. It's like, okay, I, I do a lot of uh, conventions for different things. Um, Heather is taking Harrison to Chicago TARDIS for Doctor Who Thanksgiving cool. weekend. Um, I don't. She doesn't even watch Doctor Who, and I'm not the one who gets to go. <laughs> That really is pissing me off to no end, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but, you know, we go to Gen Con, and we go, she goes to, like, her Vampire Diaries conventions and things like that. Uh, Star Trek, we go to the Star Trek conventions. You know, we get autographs from people and stuff, and there's some people who are there, and they're kind of there 
they're, they're signing their paycheck. autographs. They're getting a paycheck. Yeah. Um, you know, I've heard about different, especially you know, you know, I, I don't want to. I've I've been behind the scenes on a few of these things, and I know Heather has too because Heather works out and she's like she'll she'll be some she's often one of the people sitting at the table next to the celebrity, sure. taking the money, making sure everybody knows the rules, and some of them are just so personable and they want to talk to everybody and they're just so ecstatic to be there and they've been yeah. doing it for years and they're like they just you know they love the characters they play they love the things they do they love the parts that they're working on and they they're happy to share it with their fans and there's other guys who were there who were just pretty much signing their stuff and didn't really want to talk too much about what they did on the show um i know there's a couple of guys from some science fiction programs maybe who feel that being on there although they're famous in that circle it ruined their career because they can't be seen as anyone else you know sure yeah and but they're still there doing the signatures but they don't really want to talk to you and i i just don't get that feeling at all from anybody who's gone to the black library because i follow all the different guys on twitter who are going there even you know i think it's uh graham mcneil getting ready for getting ready for black like you know he was tweeting so much about it beforehand. I was starting to think yeah. that he was contractually obligated to it's, do it because <laughs> it's just yeah, like, yeah, wow. yeah. he's either really jazzed to meet the fans, or or they're forcing him. But I mean, that's Graham's brilliant. There are at the signings. There are always the big signings. So for Black, you know, for Black Library, Dan Abnett, Graham McNeil, Aaron Dembski Bone. Um, there, those three lines are always the longest, and you know there are other people's are long as well. But Dan Ablett's is long because he's Dan Ablett. However, it moves at a steady rate because I say Dan's done this for years with the with the comic books, and he's you come up to the desk and he doesn't know you. He says, "Hi, how you doing?" And and if you don't say anything, he'll ask you a question. Yeah, or, or he'll allow us. But after a certain amount of time, he knows how to close that off and kind of go next without ever saying it. But he knows what he's doing, so his cue moves. Right, Aaron. Aaron doesn't get to quite so many signings. I don't think Aaron, as far as I'm aware, is not particularly um, keen to be in the public. He, he, you don't hear him on that many podcasts because he's not really that outgoing in that respect. Um, although when he gets in front of a panel, he can be <laughs> quite loud and, <laughs> and brash and whatever. So his, I mean, his, and he's so popular as well. Yeah, his go out the door. Graham's go out the door, and then they don't move. Because someone said, oh, I really like this. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, when I was writing this, and that's it. And he'll go and he'll talk. And it's brilliant when you sit and talk to him. Um, and then you, you kind of watch the people in the queue going, oh, we've got to get through these people. But he actually just generally wants to talk to people. That's cool. So, you know, it, it's brilliant. And some of the other cues as well, I mean, Gav, stop and talk to anyone. And, <laughs> okay. and all these, and John, John French, it's, it's really good. I think it was the first year I went to Adepticon, which would be three years ago. Yeah. It was either the first or second year, but I'm almost positive it was the first year. Uh, you know, I'm walking around. I'm new to Adepticon. Um, in fact, it was the first year because that was when uh, Podhammer was there, and they got their interview with Dan Abnett, and I couldn't. So, so I'll be honest with you. I wasn't even there for Dan Abnett. I was there because Nathan Long was there, and I was, like, all excited because I'm reading Gotrek and Felix, you know? Yeah. And... Uh, that was when I found out it was pronounced Gotrek because that's what he said. I'm like, is it Gotrek? Oh, yes, I found that out too. And he's like, I, I was talking to the guys from England, and they're all saying Gotrek, and I realized I've been pronouncing it wrong all this time. I'm like, well, if you were pronouncing it wrong, then I don't feel bad. But um, it was really cool. It's just so funny because it was like, 
uh, the afternoon, a lot of tournaments were going on, and I walked up, and I didn't even know who these guys were. And it was like now I was just like, there was Dan Abnett sitting there talking with Bill King, and they're just hanging out talking. And I walked up, and they're like, oh, can we sign your book? And it was so funny because it, it, it – and this is the thing I remember most clearly now looking back was I walked up, and Bill stopped. He goes, oh, okay, Dan, there's someone here. And he did. He was just like assumed I was there for Dan Abnett. Cause I get, and I was like, oh, and I, I didn't, I, I didn't know who Dan Abnett. Well, like I knew him from the comic books, like I knew him yeah. from, but I didn't know what he did for Black Library. I didn't know what he was to the Black Library, you know. Sure. So I was just like, oh no, actually, I'm I'm here to see you. And he's like, oh, there's. I'm like, what? Nobody come to see you? And I was looking over, and he's like, oh well, you know, most people. And I'm like, I'm. And then Dan's like, yeah, you don't want to see me? I'm like, I- I'm sorry. And I was I felt so stupid because I'm like, I don't know who you are, you know. <laughs> you he know? does. He does like to wind people up when that happens. <laughs> I've seen, seen that happen a couple of times. It's, it's, and it's embarrassing now because I am such a Dan. And the thing is, I, I, I knew the name, and it took me once I got home, like going, and I knew I knew him from somewhere. I'm looking, I'm like, oh, God, comic books. I'm like, I've read so much of his comics. You know, and I knew the name from comics, but I went, I'm at Adepticon. I'm not thinking comics. I'm thinking, what do I know you from from Warhammer? And I didn't. And so I just, now I'm kind of embarrassed because I am such a big Dan Abnett fanboy for Black Library. And I just feel like an idiot. But that was, that's my fun. That's the only time I, I met him and I sort of kind of blew him off. That's fine. <sighs> so, yeah, um, the, I think the, um, it was, it was toned down a lot. There was a bit more space, a bit more time allowed for the authors. Um, there were less seminars going on at the same time uh which in some ways is good in some ways there were a couple of moments where i thought actually i don't really want to go to any of these seminars one of them was about writing um i can't write i know i'm not gonna be able to write a book it's a little bit wasted for me a little um, bit I mean, but if it's free or in, at yeah, least I mean, inexpensive there are, they're fun to go to there are signings going on at the same time so you can go and do that. The shop's always there. There's always people walking around, you know, while when authors aren't in, they're usually off in a group or at the bar or something like that. Um, so you can do other things in those times. But I did find myself more than the first one, sometimes looking for something to do, um, which might be a fault with me, might be a fault with the thing. I think some other people have said it. Um, they tried a little cafe clutch thing in the morning, which was a, you know, author sits in a circle with a number of people on a Sunday morning, relaxed atmosphere. It was good. And the ideas sound execution needs a little bit of work on. <laughs> um, but I mean, in general, it was good. I, the, I, maybe part of it was we were so spoiled by the first one. It was jump from one seminar to a next. The notes that Marcus from uh, the Bad Dice uh, blog, um, Horace Heresy blog, um, we were you know, competing, writing notes. We were filling in each other's gaps and things like that. And there was nowhere near as much information given out at this time, uh-huh. which is not a bad thing, but it's different. Um, the one thing was there was some of the seminars weren't seminars. They were just question and answer sessions, which is fine in its place. But when you go to a seminar entitled The Loyalists and they say, okay, any questions? And you're, and for the first five minutes, no one's got any questions. So like, well, we were expecting you to talk for 10, 15 minutes. And then we were going to have questions based on what you were saying. So it's, there were a few number of times it took the crowd a little bit of a time to warm up um, until eventually someone asked about the two lost legions. And 
which all we're never going to hear about. They're kind of no, annoying. exactly, and that is, I mean, all the Lost Legion. To be fair, all the Lost Legion questions were jokes, so that that was all right. But there were a number of, again, I've been to the Horace Heresy Weekender as well, so a lot of the questions coming from the audience, people are new to these events, um, were old questions that we've all heard before. Ah. Uh. You can sometimes almost have a little bit of a, oh, from, the, from everyone else. It's like, oh, that's wasted a minute. You know? <laughs> but, but the writers answer, that, yeah, you could, you could hear kind of, oh, 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 no, he's gone there. Okay, okay. Yeah. We all know the answer to this question because we were at the last one. And it's a little bit elitist in a way, but you're trying to get as much out of your weekend that you spent, you know, 70, 80 pound on the ticket and 80 to 100 or whatever pound for hotel rooms. And, right travel up there and it's not a cheap weekend anytime so, you go to one of those things when you get a question that you know people oh really yeah really are you wasting our time with that i mean yeah there are, I, i've been to conventions where you got celebrities up there like for movie things and you get someone who gets up and finally gets up to the line of question they says can i come up there and have a hug and you're just like what the are you serious exactly but people are gonna do it i mean no, I'm not saying anyone has to, you know. No, these aren't quite as bad as that, thankfully. These are people who want to know answers to their questions. It's just that, unfortunately, someone else, six months period, has already asked that question and most of us have listened to it. So the question wasn't bad. But, yeah, the writers take them in good form. Every now and then, Aaron just shot someone down. <laughs> aren't you the least bit curious, though, about those other two lesions? Massively, but they're never going to reveal them. Um, they've even said they're cutting back on, like, writers the writers used to think they could drop little hints in here and there and there but actually after doing it for so long they were getting more and more questions and then there's you know they got basically kind of had to pull back on it um i mean on the first expedition there was a, a thread about kind of what do we know from different parts of the books what do we think we know i just so, know that they keep, anytime someone mentions them one primarch mentions them and another primarch yells at him for saying for mentioning them yeah, That's all. absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we, there, there are certain things in the heresy that we will not know. Um, and, and you have to accept that. And and that's the whole Black... That goes across the whole Black Library in, in a lot of their books. So, but yeah, I mean, we, we, there was some, some good information came out of it. I mean, the little things that got the crowd buzzing. Um, someone asked about, you know, are we going to see any books outside of the heresy in different in other different uh, eras, um, which again was asked at the Horace Heresy and was pretty much said, yes, if we can, was kind of a guarded answer. Were they going to do like a uh, Necron series? Let us know about the old ones. Let us know how the gate closed and closed on the Warhammer world. Yeah, too right. Um, more, more based, I mean, there's always going to be based around humanity to an extent because of the ease of writing humans compared to the ease of writing Necrons and an alien. Right. Alien mind but when dan abnett says if they don't let me write about the unification wars i will be very very disappointed <laughs> then you know that time scale will come in it's not going to be next year it's not going to be the year after but at some point they're going to look He's at writing something. Way. <laughs> they've already pretty much said they want to write the scouring which is the the time after the heresy um which has got many, many cool stories already kind of dotted around. Well, right so, after the heresy would mean they would have to conclude the heresy. Exactly. And the heresy is, you know, it's the main beast at the moment by far. I mean, this was a Black Library weekender. There is going to be a Horace Heresy weekender. And oh, really? Like a good portion of 
the Black Library Weekender was Horus Heresy. It's it's doing well. So that yeah, there's going to be a um, the the dates from May I think for the Horus Heresy Weekender too. Okay, here's I got a question. Did anybody okay. ask during any of the seminars or the you know Q and A's you were at when the time if they got a if they got a did they got an end game in plan here? I mean, are, you know... For the heresy. Yeah. I mean, they're on book, what, 27 now, I think? Yeah. Um, at the last weekend... Are we looking at 40, 50, 60? I mean, do they have a, even a scope, a scale? Or are they just going to keep... The, at the last weekend, they were asked kind of how long. And the answer was at least double what it was now, which was 23 books, 23, 24. So, so at least 50. Yeah, you're looking around that. They... The one thing they have fairly well set now, or pretty much set, is they know they know at the at time of kind of speaking, they know the stories they want to tell. So unless something comes up in those books which forms another book, they know the stories they want to tell. They have it planned roughly. We're we're at the point on book twenty six or whatever that there's only seven years left of the heresy because those timelines are stamped and. Right. One thing. One thing I haven't had opportunity to do yet is sit and look through visions of heresy. Visions covers the start of the heresy to the final battle of terror. I see. So, if you want to know what they're going to be writing about, then major book, major instances are written about in there. Not all the details, obviously, and not all the stories, but major bits are in there. That's visions um, of heresy. That's the, you're talking the new one, right? The new one. Yeah. Okay. Um, for those who don't know. Um, Collective Visions was the old was an old uh, overarching view of the whole heresy based on the collectible card game art and story and was written because the card game needed the background needed the story. It was felt that actually some of it was now um, non canonical because of the way the story went. Some of it just didn't fit right. They wanted to upgrade all the artwork, so it's all the Neil Roberts art. He's done all the artwork for it, I think. So, I don't know if they've got any old ones. So it's been updated, and it's current, and it's accurate for the novels. Okay. So it's it's that's that's you know that's the tome that you want to look at if you're looking at the heresy kind of thing. All right. Um. So yeah. So they've got the they've got the framework. Now you know framework can bend and move, but they've got the framework. And the next question about writing the last battle, they don't know exactly what they're doing. That's what they've told us. They're a little way off yet. It's going to be more than one book. Oh yeah, there's going to be that last battle. Probably wind up at least at least a trilogy on its own. You would hope so. And I mean, my hope is that almost every author's involved. To be honest, Um, because it just feels right. You know, kind of. I think everyone wants Dan to write the last line. In the last little bit, I think everyone wants that because he started it, you know, kind of, and it's Dan Abnett. And I think if you ask most people, they want him to finish it off the last little bit. But I mean, he said, you know, it's it's not it's not his series, it's not anything like that. But but they, but man, I mean, do people get excited when his next book comes out? You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's um, yeah. <laughs> there's a bit of excitement. I mean. Dan's got, I mean, the, the, the book's coming up, um, 
we had the cover, we had the Horus, we had the artwork seminar for Horus Heresy, which was all about the cover for Vengeful Spirit, which is Graham McNeil's next book out in the series. Um, for those who haven't, who don't know, uh, we haven't heard a lot about Horus in the latest however many books. And in fact, even the whole series, we don't see Horus doing much fighting, things like that. Um, Vengeful Spirit was described as um, a World War II beach assault in set on a planet in outer space. Nice. Uh, and nice. the artwork was really, it's, it's glorious. It is a beach assault with, you know, the barbed wire and all that and the Sons of Horus flying through it and the Vengeful Spirit above. And um, and that seminar was really good. That was Laurie Golding and Neil um, talking through and reading the emails they sent to each other about the production of that image. So it was Laurie sending Neil his like, right, this is what we want. This is what the book's about. It would be nice to have a beach assault with Horus at the front, blah, blah, blah. And then Neil, actually they put his like rough sketch drawing up of kind of just where people would be standing and things like that. So this is what I've done. I've got the ship in the background. I've got this here. What do you think? And then Laurie's reply, okay, well, you know, we want change the angle a bit, do this a bit, put a bit more explosions in, and and the 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 back and fro of that was was really interesting to to sit through and listen through, cool. even to the point where the second to last image was up, and then they were like, Laurie sent his thing back. Um, Horace needs to be a little bit taller. Needs his shoulder pads wrong. It's the wrong mark of armor. Um, this is slightly wrong. That shade of green is ever so slightly wrong, according to the. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's, that's what Laurie does. That's that's half of Laurie's job, I think, on the heresy. Man. But, um, yeah, you know, it's got to be right. Otherwise, someone will write in and say, uh, actually, that shoulder pad didn't <laughs> exist back in that year. Worst mistake ever. Uh, exactly. You know someone will do it. But that was a really interesting kind of little piece, watching Neil cool. talk about his art. And also, that, what was brilliant in that seminar, we got a, we got a little bit about... Um, scars when that hardback comes out the black and white line drawings in that neil roberts is doing all of those now oh cool and we had those up on the image first time we saw them one of them's been shown on facebook but um we got to see them with chris Wright reading the small part of the scene about which that picture was taken from that was a really nice touch you had chris reading the scene whilst we were looking at this picture nice. of you know, the character he was describing, things like that. So there's some really nice little bits. And, and as I say, you get to walk around, you get to go to the bar afterwards, you get to stop people in the middle of nowhere and just say, look, I want to talk to you about this. Um, really good for kind of for me because a couple of guys have listened to the show and, and and we got to kind of chat a little bit, but I didn't want to take up too much time. I had stuff to do. Someone else comes along. So I hopefully... Um, Next time I go, I'm going to be more aware of how relaxed it is. I was more set on seminars, 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 but I'm going to kind of be, a, kind of have my mindset. But it's good. Black Library Weekender. Uh, there you go. Leading off from that, I'm going to give some information here that Dave has not heard yet. Oh, okay. In your ticket for the Black Library Weekender, you've got a little uh, satchel bag thing, which was, I think it fits an A4 book in. Come, um, came with the program and all the little bits, and that was part of your ticket. I managed to blag one of these bags for the show. 
to nice. give away as a prize. Indeed, I've got um, a friend from the Warhammer scene is involved with the Black Library, so I could basically I badgered him till he gave me one uh, at the end of the event, one of the unsold ones. So um, we need to come up with a contest, Dave. Okay. We'll announce it on the Fulgrim episode. So Exactly. So look out on the Fulgrim episode. We'll have a little um, contest for the bag. I'm, I'm working really hard to try and get um, good links with Black Library. Um, this is kind of real big thank you to Black Library for allowing us to have that. You know, obviously, they didn't have to. But, um, no, that, that, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, you know, kind of said, "Do you want to give our listeners something?" And so we've got that got that together. Away, they're quite nice little bags. Cool. Uh, I'm jealous. Indeed. All right. So I think we're coming to a close for another uh, another get you by episode. <laughs> Remembering <laughs> the, the Eisenstein and the Black Library weekend. Yep, and we'll be back in a week or so, hopefully, with Fulgrim. Yep. Which uh, I know a few people were disappointed that this episode wasn't the full grim episode. But I'll give us a break. Sorry, sorry to have our format and stick to it. <laughs> <laughs> Just to remind of you guys, we will be doing this feedback episode every every uh, every time we record. Yes, in preparation. So yes, and apparently Black Library is going to put fifty more of these books out. So we'll be doing this for a long time. And eventually yeah, we'll get not- caught up, and once we get caught up and we've got brand new books to read and it's new and exciting, we'll probably be plowing through them a little quicker once we get caught up. <laughs> I think I worked it out to about three years Jeez. when we catch up on the rate we're going at, which is fine because then we'll be caught up. The problem is if we catch up, we have to wait. Uh, they only release four books a year, so it'll be three months between episodes. Oh, that's true. So uh, so yeah, we're going quick. So we're do- we're doing all right with the extra with the audio and things like that. Hopefully, the you know stick with us, guys. The, the pacing I, I feel, and I think a couple of other people have said the pacing feels about right. Um, I certainly don't want to do it any quicker. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I'd like to get at know, the end of the day. I think the quality would go down if we did it quicker anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to do at Plus least yeah. If we're doing at least six books a year. Hopefully up to eight. I mean that's yeah. that's a pretty decent clip, and it's given people who haven't read it a chance to read it too. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things. I mean, Dave's already got a, a podcast that he does. He records a lot already. Um, I've got you know two jobs I work, so it's uh, this this works for us. <laughs> yeah. Between that and I mean, I mean, I literally have I have you know I, I'm a school teacher, but once I'm done teaching, I've got after school activities with my own kids. Uh, well, we've got Sunday activities, and then we've got Monday through Thursday. I have, I'm have i not home before 7, 8 o'clock at night. We're recording now in the middle of the afternoon because when I'm done teaching, I run home. I record with Greg on when we're going to record. And, in fact, my daughter's just walked in the door upstairs, so this is the end of the episode because it's time to go help with homework and start dinner. <laughs> so. so that's not us complaining, guys. That's just the no, that's just what we do. The facts about what we're doing, you know, we, we do enjoy the show. We wouldn't do it if we didn't enjoy it. I would love but, to bring you an episode a month. I would. If I had the time, I would. we would do an episode absolutely. a month and get caught up. We'd do 12 books a year, and we'd be caught up when, well, it would still take us two and a half, almost years by the time we get <laughs> caught up. But it's, we're doing what we can, and we're just, we're just glad you're liking it and you're sticking with us, you know. 
And heck, let's be honest, most of you, if you're like me, you've got like 30 shows in the queue anyway that you're trying to plow through. <laughs> so if we start jumping in with three and a half hour episodes every month, it's just going to slow you down. So, Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So um, one final thing. Oh, if sure. you keep listening on to the end of the episode, we will have um, an interview I recorded with uh, Laurie Golding at the Black Library Weekender. It was recorded live um, in a quietish part of the hall unfortunately the mic was probably a little bit too good and my um my laptop skills and everything were a little bit too bad so the quality is not the best but hopefully you can get something out of it uh unfortunately my voice being a little bit louder than Laurie's. i haven't actually heard it yet but i will work on it when we're editing and putting it in i will try to clean it up as much as possible guys we're going to give you the best interview we can uh and we're actually hoping if we get this relationship going with black library a little better to get you regular on Skype interviews with some of the guys, which they should sound as clean as Greg sounds coming through on this. So there you go. But uh, we will see you in a few weeks with Fulgrim. Um, prepare to hear Greg's pick for uh, opening passage as Greg will be opening oh, yeah. the next show. It's your turn, man. I did. Uh, I forgot about that. You forgot. Yeah, okay. All right. I, I forgot whose turn it was. No, I'll be I did flight. Remember, I made a big deal about how I had to do flight because that's my favorite. So you it's got all good. Fulgrim. I've got, it, I've got it under control. It's all good. What's next? Wait, what's after Fulgrim? Is that Descent? That's Descent. And then, as said earlier, we'll have our Garrow audio edition okay. after that. So I got to pick a passage from Descent. Well, Excellent. Great. Well, if it's... If, if, <laughs> That was my least favorite so far. So we'll see if that one. Cha- I, hey, I, 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 my my mind completely has been changed about Fulgrim as a book. Maybe it'll change about Descent. I so. have utter faith that it will change about Descent. I hope so. I'm actually starting with with some of the short stories I've read about the lion. I'm starting to like him a little more. I'm, I get him. Oh no, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> you know what? He's he's completely paranoid, and I that's the kind of character I enjoy. So I I might actually start to like him. Who knows? Give it a try. I'm a fanboy. Leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks. See you in a few weeks. Take it easy, Greg. Cheers. Hello, and welcome to a live recording from the Black Library Weekend 2013. I'm sat here with one Laurie Golding. I pronounced it correctly. That's it. Yeah, I'll accept anything vaguely in that that realm of pronunciation. Excellent. So um, for those of our listeners who don't know, who are you and what do you do? I am uh, one of Black Library's commissioning editors. So I work with the authors on um, pitching their stories and uh, turning those stories into awesome books and audio dramas. And I'm also heavily involved with Horus Heresy, which I've always been a fan of, as uh, right back to the beginning um, the series, and um, I'm probably one of the only editors that's involved in every single Harrison product, so I'm kind of uh, taking a good bit of satisfaction from that. My, my inner fan loves that. A lot of our listeners are getting very jealous. I bet, I bet. <laughs> I'd be getting jealous if I was listening. So, were you always into DW? Yeah, I, um, I, I mean, a standard sort of introduction to the hobby when I was about eight from my cousin, um, who, you know, an older cousin who uh, was uh, an avid miniature painter, and uh, they bought me Hero Quest for game awesome. for Christmas, and um, painted all the miniatures for the, you know, the terrible enthusiasm that you do when you're eight. And, <laughs> oh, yes, I've got some, like, uh, metallic silver wolf somewhere because it's the only Brilliant. colour I had at the time. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think um, it's it's one of those things where you end up using poster paints because you're just so desperate to get the colour onto those yeah. miniatures. 
But um, yeah, I, um, I, I went straight from Hero Quest to um, uh, Space Marine, the, the original epic um, uh, version. And um, uh, I sort of collected huge armies for that up to the age of about 16. Um, I dabbled in Necromunda a little bit and then Gorkin Walker. Never really played much 40k. And when I went to university, I kind of dropped out of the hobby almost entirely because I just couldn't afford to keep buying right, miniatures. Yeah. But I did a bit of commission painting. Um, and then uh, years later, after I finished uni and I was, uh, I was just in Waterstones, and I remembered I'd had a conversation with somebody about why we haven't thought about it as this great British science fiction sort of um, concept. And in Waterstones, I saw Horus Rising. I thought, you're got to be kidding me they've actually done a book about Horus Heresy that's amazing and I bought it there and then and I read it over the, you know, the next couple of days and I realised they'd already released False Gods and Galaxy and Flames so I missed out on all of it so I bought both of those as well and I read them over Christmas 2006 just back to back um, when I had the flu which was great and um, immediately as soon as I got back from uh, Christmas which was great I was like I have to start a World Eaters Army a Heresy Era World Eaters Army and um just got into the hobby again in a huge way and started uh, running events and things like that and um, joining forums that dealt us with Horus um, Heresy Gaming and um, it all just went from there enthusiasm enough to see me through to the hallowed vault of Black Lightning There was quite a jump though to go from a fan just getting back into it, you are obviously working somewhere else doing other bits and pieces Yeah sure, well I was doing I was doing video work for um, Black Library um, because I, as a fan, I had gone to um, Gen Con, I think at Reading University, and I yeah, saw back um, in the old days, days. yourself there, yeah, right? exactly. English Gen Con, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Dan Abner was doing a Q and A, and I took a video camera along, and I was like, I'm going to film this Q and A, and I'm going to put this on one of the forums, and people will love this stuff, and, you know. And he was talking about Legion, which hadn't been released at that point. And um, I filmed the whole thing only to realise that the camera hadn't been set up right and so it hadn't recorded any of it in fact. And I went to him afterwards and I said, Oh I, I was gonna I recorded the, the Q and A, I was gonna post it online. Would you would you have been alright with that maybe if I do a few joint sit down? Yeah, I mean do you know much about video production? I was like, Yeah, I run like a little studio doing video production work for um, you know, for various business clients and he said we should speak to Mark Neaton at Black Library because he's been talking about doing video work uh, and having videos on the on their YouTube channel and things like that. So we got in touch with them and started doing interviews, trailers, and products like that. So I met all of the authors and I got really um, sort of well versed in what was coming up before it was actually released. And then when Black Library advertised for um, the desk editor and commissioning editor roles at the time, submissions editor at that point. I applied, thinking, well, I know all of these people, I know everybody who works at my library, I know all of the authors, and I get on with them all pretty well. I thought, surely that must count for something. And actually, it was great, because working with the editors as a commissioning editor, no, sorry, working with the authors and editors as a commissioning editor, you need to have that sort of personal relationship with them, yeah. so that you can actually, you know, get the best work um, for, you know, for, for, for the projects they're working on. Um, and it went from there. So, I mean... There's no, there's no shady dealings that propels a, an otherwise unqualified fan. Uh, a conflux of events. Yeah, it's, it just fell into place. Yeah, it's purely. I think it's you know where other people might have had loads of experience in publishing. I knew a, a decent amount about the the series and about um, sort of uh, vaguely about publishing and editing. I mean, video editing is almost the same sort of mindset, but it was purely the fact that um, I had 
sort of great working relationships with a lot of these guys already that still mean good stead for actually working for Black Library. And um, yeah, it's gone on from there Excellent. rather splendidly. So you've come in, you've done editing and submissions and all those bits and pieces, and now you're writing as well. Is that something you used to do? Did you used to write pieces? Yeah, well, I mean, um, again, people think that um, we think that as submissions editor or as an editor of Black Library that we sort of have this. Uh, high horse or pedestal that we sort of stand on this ivory tower where we decide who gets published and we can publish our friends and stuff it's not like that at all <laughs> I had been submitting to the open submissions window when Christian was running it Christian Dunn uh, I had been submitting every year for about three years and never heard anything back and when uh, Graham and I uh, Graham Lyon um, started on the same day as me he was the um, desk editor and I was the submissions editor to, to start in that role we turned up on the same day and Christian said hi I'm Christian Dunn I said, well yeah I've met you before <laughs> redundant uh, <laughs> introduction there but um, uh, and he said um, you guys have both submitted for the uh, the anthology that we've got together haven't you I've seen your emails in the inbox and he was like uh, and I said yes and Graham was like yeah yeah and uh, he then produced printouts of our stories and said well now you work here you can't submit and he tore them up in front of us and it was like shattered all of our illusions about how it was going to work and then he said so you know now that you know you've had that hope dashed so let's get on with editing other people and it took months and months of us sort of um, working with other authors and finding out how stories are made and how what what makes good writing um, and what makes a commercial product as well to actually convince Christian and Nick and Lindsay and, and the other guys in the team that we actually knew what we were doing enough to be given a chance to write even just very short um, stories um, but it, it's one of those things where a good analogy would be if you're a plumber you know how to fix a sink and so you wouldn't hire necessarily another plumber to come and do it for you um, not that we're saying that the editor should write everything that wouldn't, that wouldn't be possible it wouldn't work but we know how to we know what to look for in a pitch and we know what to look for and what makes good writing so actually we're quite well informed about what to put into our own stuff in order to make it acceptable. That's actually something we saw last night with Pitch Factor. Sure, a lot of yeah. people with a lot of ideas, but just the ideas there, but the story of that idea doesn't yes, work. exactly. I mean... As a, as a story. Yeah, we're, 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 again, contrary to possibly popular uh, belief, we're, we're so keen for people to start writing for us. I would love it. We had the gold ticket event, and that was basically kind of a pilot scheme for would we do a writing academy and would we bring people to develop their ideas and have one-to-one -one time with editors and group work and stuff like that. And I would love it if all 30 or 35 of those guys then go on to refine their ideas, submit them, and they get published. That'd be brilliant. That'd be so good for us. We would love it. Um, we just have to make sure that we can sort of do do right by the people who want to work for us and write for us but also do right by the background and the IP and um, develop their ideas because it would be fantastic making it so much easier for us <laughs> if we had more authors um, so it's not that we're it's not an exclusive thing it's not it's not a negative thing that we're changing the way submissions works it's just that we want to get the most um, uh, the, the, big, the greatest number of great submissions in most um, efficient yeah, exactly. In the most efficient way, not um, not spending a lot of time working on stuff which actually is a bit of a non-start from the beginning. If we can show people what the sort of stuff is that we want in advance, then we can give them the best opportunity to supply us with some great writing. Excellent. So, one of the big 
things on release this weekend is Visions of Heresy, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. Um, which your name's attached to. Yeah, I, uh, um, I edited and compiled it by the credits. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, when, when, about, when did this talk of doing a new one start? Because I mean, obviously the Heresy yeah. book's been running for a while now. Sure. We had the old Visions. What was wrong with yeah. the old Visions? Collected Visions. Um, when I... When I arrived, and again, this is pretty much as soon as I got there um, uh, into Black Library, at my desk, and Nick Kine was my um, uh, sort of line manager, and he, he confessed to me afterwards, after this point, he said, I didn't really know what to give you to do, because we <laughs> had no idea what the submissions editor was actually going to do um, at first, but he said, um, he says, you know about Horus Heresy, you're quite enthusiastic. He said, I've heard you talking before and saying that this um, sort of captioning mistakes and th- like little little details that are wrong in Collective Visions. So why don't you take this copy of Collective Visions and mark it up with everything you think should change. And then if we ever do another version of it, then we can put those corrections in. So it'd be Corrected Visions. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say it after here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we um, we that that was in um, January like 2011. So it's been sat on my desk, and I I did quite a lot of it to begin with, and then I got other projects given to me, and it kind of just sat on my desk for about eight or nine months, and I didn't touch it at all. And then it came uh, up in a meeting where they said, you know what, we really should put out a really nice new edition um, where we can include loads of Neil Roberts artwork and bring the story up to date and include some uh, some new stuff and some revised stuff and make sure it all uh, tallies up. And I was like, yeah, I started on that ages ago. Do you remember? And um, it, it went from there. And I, I had a meeting with Alan Merritt, who um, wrote all the original text for the Horus Heresy stuff. He's kind of like the guru of, uh, of the keeper of the law. And um, he, we, we sat down, and he wrote um, all the extra sections that we thought would help to flesh out the story as it exists now in the novels. Because before we had the beginning of the Heresy, a bit of the middle, and then the end. Yeah. And there was still that kind of age of darkness um, that the novels have kind of gone into now. Um, there was so much that we could have covered in the book that we originally hadn't been. Um, so we decided for this version we were going to make sure that there was a lot more content and uh, present it in a lot sort of more accessible way. Because people use, I remember the same, sort of coming into it from a hobby aspect, people use collective visions as um, a kind of reference tool uh, and sort of the definitive bible of um, the Horus Heresy, but then in a lot of ways it had fallen out of uh, being current law, um, it had been revised and sort of retconned in a lot of cases. So Alan and I worked together really, really closely and um, got that um, got that sort of up-to-date but also included a lot more stuff that he'd been thinking about and um, the authors have been working with, uh, working with him. Excellent. So this new vision is just going to tell us everything that happens in the heresy? Well, not everything. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it brings it right up to date for what, we, what we've covered in the novels so far. And uh, it also expands on some stuff which we haven't yet seen. So there is, uh, there is some hints of what's still to come. For example, there was never anything about, really, there was never really anything about the Dark Angels in there. Now there's a, there's a whole section about the Dark Angels and all the artwork is together. And it kind of hints about stuff that we've not seen in the books. There's some names, some planets, some events that the you know, fans of the Dark Angels can be really excited to see. And it teases what will probably be coming in the near future. I know Dan has been talking about it, Gal Thorpe has been talking about it, what their plans are for the Dark Angels. That's just one new section. There's stuff about the um, Shadow Crusade, um, with the World Bearers and World Eaters going into Ultramar. That's going to be expanded on as well in the near future. Um, and 
and Hiram Secundus is obviously just beginning in the Unremembered Empire. There's going to be a lot more story there, and um, uh, I'm particularly excited about that because uh, it's based on um, the Pharos uh, beacon at Sotha, and um, I love the sides of the Emperor, so that's their home world eventually, so we're going to see how that ties in. Brilliant. So we've got, so you've got, Black Library have got a framework, and was that framework done in conjunction with the writers and visions working to be able to tell that story? Yeah, I mean, the, the way, the, the thing that Alan is kind of the um, the, 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 the cornerstone of this, of the whole heresy project, because all of the authors, uh, when they meet at Games Workshop, discuss their ideas, they talk about what they want to do, what they want to cover. Alan is always there, and they ask him questions, and he kind of directs them towards um, things they might have forgotten about from the original background, or cool new ideas that never occurred to them before and um, the, the, frame, the framework is, is the real sort of collaboration between the authors and Alan and the editors where um, it, it, it is, it's that kind of um, collegiate um, academic sort of sharing of ideas that everybody gets what they want to do out on the table and then you can work out the best way to present that, whether if somebody brings an idea to the table and ends up writing it or if they give it to someone else or um, people just think, actually that ties up really well with that. And a lot of the stuff that's coming together, although it's enshrined in you know years of background um, that's very basic, there's a lot of stuff that comes out sometimes by accident, just a cool idea that gets put on the table, written down on a bit of paper and it gets put next to another cool idea and you think, actually let's tie those two together. And um, for example, scars uh, by Chris Wright. A lot of the um, a lot of the stuff about the Battle of Chondacks um, that we knew about um, was tied up to stuff that we didn't know about. That was uh, you know ideas about. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. It's really hard. But I think ahead because a lot of people won't have read it yet. Um, some of the ideas in there were ideas that were going into another book, um, and then we realised actually what better way to preface that than with the Battle of Chondacks. And then when they step away from the Space Wolves and um, the Alpha Legion and all of that gets left behind, let's have them go into the next step of the story for the White Scars, as opposed to bringing the Space Wolves and the Alpha Legion with them just for the sake of continuing the novel in the same way. And it was one of those kind of amazing collaborative um, projects that just came out of those meetings and came out of that kind of structure in the way that the, way that the series works. Excellent. So much more exciting stuff to come. Oh, absolutely. We we know we know what the audience will be working on for the next sort of three or four years, and um, I gather that um, Graham and uh, Dan have been dropping titles and teasers in all over this weekend. So um, can't control all this. Can't control it. We try. We keep them all locked in a room if we could, um, working away. But uh, it doesn't work. <coughs> it affects their morale. <laughs> well, brilliant. Thank you very much for coming on. No problem. And, Thank uh, you. We'll grab you again. Cheers. Congratulations on completing another episode of After Eleanor. David and Greg would love you to come and chat some more about the Horus Heresy in the forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or on the Facebook page. Just search for After Eleanor. You can email us if you wish at greg at garagehammer.net or david at garagehammer.net. Finally, you can catch us on Twitter at After Eleanor, at Child of Fang for Greg and at garagehammer for David. If you'd like to support the show, you can visit the support page on the main website at garagehammer.net and you can leave a positive review on iTunes. In addition, 
you can tell all your friends to come and join the community. Many thanks for listening, and until the next episode, may the Emperor protect you.